All right, have you ever felt like your relationships are stuck in the shallow end? Maybe you want to be more connected with the people in your life? Well, good news. Today, author Mike Bullock shares about how he learned to infuse more love and connection in his friendships and his marriage, too. Did you know there's four types of love? The Legendary Marriage Podcast begins now. If you're feeling more like roommates than soulmates, it's time for the Legendary Marriage Podcast. Every couple wants to have a great marriage, but the trials and challenges of life pull us in different directions. So we talk with amazing couples who share their stories and incredible experts who share their wisdom about building a life together. And at the end of every show, we give you a conversation starter so you and your spouse can build more intimacy and connection in your marriage by having conversations that matter. Hello there, family. It's Danielle and Justin. This is episode 114. Whether you've been listening to a long time or this is just the beginning, you found us. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the Legendary Marriage family. Hi. <laughs> feel like My our name's Justin. Darn I, glad to meet you. I feel like our energies are disparate this morning. I'm very high and you're very low. Uh, yeah. Bring it up, honey. Well, I was gone traveling for work and, and some some solitude and everything last week and You're in chill mode I'm, still. I'm in chill mode. I'm I'm still trying to <laughs> trying to find my energy. All right. So um, I just want to say, as a member of the family, there are a couple things you can do if you want to join in the adventure just a little bit more. Um, subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes. We love reviews. We do love reviews. Even the mean, nasty, horrible ones. We don't have any of those, do we? Well, you'd have to go and, and uh, check on iTunes and see. I haven't seen any. We don't delete them. Anymore. No, every review we've gotten so far has been five stars. Oh, so baby. So if, if you're a hater, get on there and, <laughs> and drop a bomb. <laughs> All right. You can share a favorite episode with your friend. Today might be one of your new favorites. Or um, join the conversation in our free Facebook community. Or you can take the 4 by 4 marriage challenge. Dun, dun, dun. Four days. Four practices that it won't take you more than like a half an hour a day. Oh, super fun. That. Transform your marriage four days. You'll want to take it. Just hit up legendarymarriage.com slash four X four to do that. Hey, I want to talk about freshly for a minute. Do you? You yes. always want to talk about food. I love food. <laughs> I love food. I love good food. I'm not such a big fan of messy kitchens and uh, shopping and all of that. All right. So Freshly offers chef-prepared, all-natural gourmet meals delivered to your doorstep in a weekly subscription model. Good it's stuff. It's like you're reading my mind. Good stuff. Or at least the script. Whole natural, <laughs> natural ingredients. Every meal packed with high-quality proteins. We love our protein. Oh, yeah. Freshly meals never contain gluten, refined sugars, artificial additives, all that yucky stuff. It's so all the good stuff, right? Meals arrive fresh. They're not frozen. That's, nope. that's a big distinction. It's I not know. frozen. You know, you try something... And it like when it's frozen and then thawed again, like it loses something. Like the, it gets a, the texture gets off. Do you think it, so? It's all fresh. Yeah, all fresh. Um, so go to legendarymarriage.com/slash/freshly to get thirty percent off your first month. Um, begin. Why are you sounded like that's the first time we've ever said it? That's I hilarious. Know. Well, it's just a really good. That's discount. been the deal. They work. We, you know, legendarymarriage.com/slash/freshly to claim that deal. All right. 
I may have an Amazon addiction. We all do, honey. Yeah. Um, I, I love that I can, I, in, in especially like we have Amazon now, so I can order stuff and have it here in two hours. So awesome. It's, and if you use our, our Amazon affiliate link. Legendarymarriage.com slash Amazon. The money that you already spend shopping on Amazon. Yeah. We know you do. It doesn't cost you anything more. You still get Amazon, the great variety of products and everything. Two-day shipping for Prime and and all of that. But a little bit goes to support the yeah. Legendary Marriage podcast. So We get a little cheddar out of that. That's right. Legendarymarriage.com slash Amazon to get those great Amazon deals that you already do. So get yourself shopping. All right. So today... I love how you're encouraging rampant consumerism. um, It's already there. It doesn't really need much encouraging. All right. So today on the show, we have Mike Bullock. He is talking about love. All we need is love a little bit more in our relationships. Hold on, hold on. Mike's talking about love, family, speed metal, and drag racing, to be fair. Um... Yes, all of that. All right, let's get to it. It was a fantastic interview. Enjoy. All right, we are excited this week to have Mike Bullock uh, on the podcast. And Mike is an author and a pastor and a husband and a father. And he spent his early years in the entertainment industry. Okay, wait, 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 wait. What did you do in the entertainment industry, Mike? I'm super curious about this. I sang and played guitar in a bunch of different thrash, speed metal, and death metal bands. Okay. Whoa. (laughs) That is not my speed, so I'm so curious about it. You are blowing my mind to think of like a pastor-type guy doing (laughs) (laughs) metal. Well, Ben Ben is like that. Oh, my gosh. How um, are you still interested in that kind of music? Yes, I still write songs. In fact, I was just finishing up doing a mix on one about half an hour ago. Oh my, oh my gosh! Gosh, well we might. Okay, but like, can, can we get a sample of it? Yeah, could we put it in, like in our show notes? Do you have like a recording of one of your concerts or something? I could probably find a way to send you a sample of one of the. Oh songs. my gosh! I cannot wait. So crazy! <laughs> it's crazy because our out. neighbors across the street. We were standing in the driveway one day and uh, the neighbor comes over and she says, oh my gosh, so you guys have to get Mike on your podcast. He's my friend from from down south and uh, so on. I was like, okay, great. And so Mike and I have been trying to get make this happen for what, like four months? Yeah, probably. Uh, longer than that, actually, I think. And so come to find out, we actually used to work at the same church together. That's like we have all these I- interconnected weird. relationships and everything. And it just, just totally, it's, it's a small world after all. Is it like the, the six degrees of Kevin Bacon, but we didn't know what but any of the degrees were? But it's were? like one degree. <laughs> it's like one degree. And well, you're, you're writing a new book, The Missing Ingredient, Home-Cooked Relationships in a Fast Food World. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to hear about yeah. that. Um, because first of all, I love fast food. That and- is, this is like the most roundabout, welcome to the show, Mike, that we've ever done. Okay. Welcome to the show, Mike. We're so glad to have you here. Why, thank you. (laughs) We were just so interested in everything that's going on with you. We just couldn't stop uh, marveling about it. So, Mike, how long have you been married to your lovely wife? It will be 18 years on May 5th. Wow. 
stuff. That's oh yeah. That's just like us. We were nine eleven ish married. Married. Yeah, we, uh, we were we were married um, right before nine eleven. November after. Wow. Yeah. It was such a weird time. I don't yeah, know. It was. Weird time. Now, how did you initially catch the eye of each other? And what is your wife's name? Her name is Angie, and we actually met drag racing in the amateur ranks for the NHRA. So I was in a car club in Southern California, and she was one in Phoenix. Uh, she was probably the best driver in her club. And I was one of the drivers in my club and they came out to Pomona raceway, which is the home of the NHRA. And there was a guy who started dating her that I hung out with a little bit. And he was one of those guys that always wanted to one up everybody and tell you whatever he had was better than whatever you had. Mm. So he came to me one day and he's like, I met this girl and oh, you two would be so great for each other, but I'm dating her. You're not. And I said, oh, so, <laughs> so rude. Oh, yeah. And it was okay. Challenge accepted. And I ended, I don't know if you guys remember ICQ, the old chat. Uh, yeah. Way from way back when. So I got her ICQ number from him and then it was all over. I literally told her in our very first conversation she was going to marry me. And I reminded her of that the day we got married and she just started laughing. Boom. Mike's got game. Oh my god! I like it. First of all, there's the speed medal. And then you're both drag racers. This is just like, this story keeps getting better and better. Okay. So does she, do you guys still race? No, we gave that up quite a long time ago. It's one of those things where the hobby gets more and more expensive, the better you get at it. Uh, and yeah. when it, when it started turning into, we can't go back to the track until we find two, three, four, five thousand $5,000. We were like, okay, it's time to stop. So, oh, wow. Okay. So do you guys just get like speeding tickets now? Do you like? Uh, she has amazingly never gotten one in her entire life. I still don't know how that's ever happened. And I tend to get that's one. Every on wood for you. So, oh my, oh my goodness. goodness. Okay. So you guys met, fell in love at the racetrack. You called it. You said, Hey, we're going to go out. We're going to get married. Was she on board with that on the first date when you said, Hey, we're going to get married someday? When I brought it up, she laughed it off. You know, she's like, oh, this guy's cocky, you know, that kind of thing. And just kind of blew it off. And then I, if I remember correctly, she told me about a month later, she told her dad that I was the one she was going to marry, but she didn't tell me that yet. Ooh. Oh, wow. Okay. So that, that played Called out. Yeah. Okay. So I have to reveal this about Justin. Yeah. Justin did the same thing. I mean, not quite the, the first... same. Not quite the same. So we met, we were working at a grocery store and I was like, who who is this chick like uh, i was like okay, hi mike, i'm justin mike, is, we've worked together for like two years yeah we had worked together a long time before he first saw me uh-huh. and then it took me like six months to get her to go out with me yeah and on our first date i said yeah someday i'm gonna marry you and then i said check please you're freaking me <laughs> <laughs> it's a little too much buddy let's back it up back it up a few degrees here okay yeah, you so I know you've written this new book about um, the missing ingredient of home-cooked relationships. So relationships are very important to you. Like, how did that start at a young age? Were you always somebody who, you know, loved your family, had a lot of friends, that kind of thing? Uh, I was one of those kids that just kind of loved everything and everybody. Mm -hmm. And there was a couple of people in my family that I believe I got that from, but the majority of my family was not that way. Um, my mother was, 
I guess you could call it mentally abused as a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, my grandfather went off to World War II when my aunt and uncle were little kids. He came back. They had kind of gone through the childhood while he was gone overseas. Um, he came back. They were 10, 12, 13 years old, and, he, and they didn't really know who he was. They were like, who is this man? Where has he been? You know, because he left when they were toddlers. Sure. Uh, he felt really bad having missed his kids, you know, the, those golden years of childhood. So he went to my grandmother and said, I, I want another chance. I want to have another kid. And she was absolutely against it. She was like, you know, I raised these two kids by myself the whole time you were gone. I'm not doing it again. They apparently debated for a while and he ended up winning the debate. My mom was born and my grandmother hated her and uh-huh. just treated her like garbage her entire childhood. My grandfather doted on her. And while my grandfather was doting on her, it made my aunt and uncle kind of resent her. Like, how come you get the special treatment from the old man, yeah. but he wasn't even around when we were kids. And so it, it created this really kind of messed up dynamic for her to grow up in. Um, I don't know that she ever really quite understood what love was. Um, she left home when she was a teenager, you know, and this is the late sixties where, you know, single moms were almost unheard of. She leaves home. She marries the local bad boy. Turns out he's even more damaged than she is. Um, after a few years, my brother and I are born. Um, the family gets very abusive. Uh, my uncle, grandfather, grandmother found out about it, got my mom to leave him. Um, and then we just kind of spiraled out of control from there. Single mother in the 70s. You know, we my brother and I go to school and we get treated like second class citizens. You know, my mom can't handle it. She can't process how to deal with all these kinds of things. Um, and it, it was just kind of a train wreck. So she, you know, she did the best she could, but at the same time, she never really understood how to love in the first place. And it was much easier for her to, to be verbally abusive and take her anger out on the people around her. So my brother and I got the brunt of that. Wow. And Mm. I mean, there's a lot of things about that story that's very shocking. But when you said when you went to school, you were treated like a second class citizen because your mom was a single mom. Um, I I always think of like when you go to school and you're with your friends, it's kind of like you get the reprieve (laughs) from the from the home crazy. And yeah, for me growing up, like not the same story, but for me growing up when things were tough at home, school was like where I went for refuge. So like when you said that, I I just, Oh, I'm left very tender. Yeah. And I had a few friends who, you know, I could go over to their house and and kind of get my reprieve there. But at school it was, you know, most of my friends, their dads were taking them out to play ball and they were involved in youth sports and different going to camps and going fishing and doing all these things that boys do and sure. my dad wasn't around, so I didn't get to do any of that. So it would all automatically became, oh, well, don't let's not hang out with him because, you know, he's different. And it, it was it was kind of weird. It was, I, you know, I wouldn't say it was like a prejudice, but it was almost like, a, you know, we're not going to even talk to you about this because you're not going to be able to go anyway. Mm. So I was always really good at making friends quickly, um, but I could never seem to make the really deep ones. And we moved around a lot. Um, which kind of almost almost gave me like a uh, stunted my relational growth, I guess, so to speak, because I got to the point where I was like, okay, when something goes sideways and I start to have tension or conflict in a relationship, I don't need to bother trying to fix it because A, these people will never accept me and B, we're going to move in a few months anyway. 
So we bounced around. Yeah, we just bounced around a lot. It was almost like we were a military family, even though we weren't. And by the time I hit high school, I think I'd already lived in 25 places or something like that. And it, you know, it just became a thing where, you know, I knew how to fit in really quick and make surface friends really quickly, but I never developed the ability to make deeper relationships. Mm, That's a lot of unattachment in life. I'm really curious as we, as you kind of move forward into meeting and marrying Angie, like how did that experience shape how you and Angie design your relationship? Uh, By the time we got together, because I didn't meet her till I was 30 and you know, I I was a musician for most of my twenties and I did the whole sex, drugs, rock and roll thing. You know, I was very self-destructive, really didn't care. I was thoroughly convinced by the time I was 15, I wouldn't leave to see 20. By the time I got 20, I was convinced I would never make 30. You know, it it was just one of those things where I just kind of figured, you know, the world doesn't care about me. God doesn't care about me. I'm just going to go have as much fun as I can and get what, get out of it what I can and move on with life. And when it comes to an end, it comes to an end. And then I spent so long not really caring about my life or anything that when I met Angie, it was almost kind of weird because she came from this really loving, close-knit family where they were very sacrificial to one another. They, there was no doubt that you were loved if you were part of that family. Um, and it was just almost foreign to me. Like I, it, I didn't expect it. I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know how to handle it. Um, her aunt, her grandmother um, would come to me and just tell me how much they appreciated me and how much they loved me. And it was, it was really weird. Um, you know, I had made some achievements in my life. I'd put out albums, I'd gone on tours, I'd done these sorts of things, won some awards. Never once in my life has my mother ever told me she was proud of me. And obviously, my father never has. So I get into Angie's family, and they're constantly telling each other, you know, affirming each other, telling each other how much they love each other, how great, you know, it's awesome. Look what you just did. This is really cool. So proud of you. I love you so much. And it, it was just weird for me. Like I'd, I'd never seen that before. I'd never experienced it. So it, it took a few years for me to kind of realize that the way I grew up wasn't normal. Yeah. And, you know, and, uh, unfortunately, the world's almost flipped where now, you know, you've got, I think it's 52% of kids are growing up in a single parent family. And I'm sure at least 25 of them are experiencing what I experienced or worse. And the family my wife grew up in is now becoming the minority versus it was the majority when I was a kid. Mm. So, mm. Coming to grips with a lot of that and figuring all that out is, is a lot of things that I've wrestled with for years. Yeah, I wonder how did that play out when y'all first got married, where she's used to the like this super loving, connected relationships, and you're used to, you know, these very surface kind of disconnected or borderline, you know, abusive relationships. How did you guys come together in that space when you came when you came from such different origins? Strictly 100% by the grace of God. Yeah. Um, I was still in a, in a place where I, I couldn't understand why she would love me. So in the back of my mind, I always had this thing like, you're just going to leave. Sooner or later, you're going to be fed up and we're going to be done. And, you know, the first year we were together was, you know, we had a couple of fights, but we were basically in love. And you go through that whole, you know, the chemicals are still flowing and the hormones are still going. And, you know, the little birds are tweeting when you wake up in the morning because you love each other. Oh, yeah, that's a good stiff. 
Yeah. And then you get married and then, you know, the, the wedding, the, the, the newlyweds and all that kind of honeymoon period kind of fades off. And then you realize this is life. And we were, we had both spent a fair amount of time in our twenties living by ourselves. So we were very independent. And the way I assumed things were supposed to happen was different than the way she assumes things are supposed to happen. So we had some clashes over that and it just kind of slowly got worse and worse and worse. I think we'd been married about three years. Um, I came home on a Friday night. We got in an argument about something that neither one of us can even remember what it was to this day. I'm sure it was something really stupid. Something really important. Yeah. Yeah. You know, whose turn was it to load the dishwasher or something dumb? And we got in a knockdown, drag out screaming match that ended with we're getting divorced. Um, And we were completely just kind of left it Friday night at like 10 p.m. of first thing Monday morning, we're finding a divorce lawyer, we're done. Um, And we went our separate ways. We lived in a fairly big house Um, at the time. You know, we lived in Phoenix and we were doing the chase the American dream thing. We both made a lot of money. We had really nice cars. We had a nice house, big TV, all that kind of stuff that always left us empty, but we kept trying to get more. So over the weekend, we distracted ourselves with all that kind of nonsense and, and stayed as far apart from each other as we could. Yeah. Um, Friday during the afternoon or a Sunday afternoon, um, one, of, one of our friends had been trying to get us to go to church for a while. And Friday afternoon, I had remembered that I'd asked him one time what in the world he got out of going to church. And he told me hope. And I was like, wow, okay, I don't really get that. And I kind of put that in my back pocket and moved on. And here it was, fast forward six months later, this fateful Sunday afternoon, and that came to my mind. And I went downstairs to Angie and I said, let's go try and find a church before we throw in the towel. Whoa. She agreed that we would try that. So we started looking. Um, We ended up finding a church that was, turns out, was right down the street from our house. Um, Started going there. The very first weekend we went, um, the pastor of that church shared some things that that he had in common with me from the stage that he never shared again the whole five years we went to that church. Um, He and I both went through the Los Angeles riots together about five minutes apart, and here we were living in Phoenix and had never met. Um, just a bunch of weird little things like that, that got me to connect with him. And six months later, we were better than we had ever been. We still had some fights and still had some things like that. And then we got, uh, somebody turned us on to love and respect and we went to the love and respect conference and that was game changing. Um, really grasping how God wired us differently and how we need to approach each other differently. And I need to understand what she needs and she needs to understand what I need. And it just made all the difference in the world. So. Wow, like a miraculous turnaround. Awesome. That is like the definition of like we were dead and we rose again. <laughs> and I love how like so so fast forward a little bit, like what inspired you to write this book about relationships? Cause it seems like you've experienced the gamut of all of it. Like the super healthy, the like, you know, down in the bottom of the pit, the like, Oh my gosh, is this craziness never going to end? Like you've experienced it all. Like what got you to, you know, write it, put a pen to paper on it. So a lot of the stuff I, I unpack in the book and, and piece together and all that has been rattling around in the back of my head for years. Um, a lot of the things that 
that kind of coalesced into what became the book have their origins all the way back to when I was a little kid. Some of the stuff cropped up when I was a teenager, questions I've always wrestled with, things that I finally got answers to through the Bible, um, things that I've heard from, you know, some of the wonderful people we've been surrounded with in our churches. Um, and then last, I want to say it was January, our lead pastor called me backstage in between services one Sunday and he said, I was praying this morning and God told me I had to tell you this. And he handed me a post-it note and the post-it note had uh, scripture from Corinthians. I believe it was first Corinthians two, nine. And it said, your best book is your next book. Mm. And he <laughs> said, God told me I had to give you this. And so immediately my wheels start turning of, I haven't written a book in a while. I got to write another book. I've never done nonfiction before. And so I started thinking about what can I do? What can I do? And then the publisher I ended up working with popped up on my Facebook like the next day, um, you know, kind of like a sales pitch of why you should go with them as a publisher and so forth. And I kind of started looking into it and come to find out that the the publisher that started the company is actually an ex-pastor. Um, he loves uh, bringing in stuff that supports families, that supports relationships, all those kinds of things. And I was like, okay. And so I guess I'm doing this thing. Yeah, here we go. And it all just started kind of coming into focus. And then I sat down, I think it was maybe the second week in May and wrote for eight hours a day for five weeks. And then I was done. Wow. Wait, oh, come on. Can you be our ghostwriter, yeah. Mike? I do actually do that. A lot. <laughs> do you? Oh, oh man, man, we're gonna have to all talk right, after right. this. We're gonna have to have a, a bonus conversation here. Yeah. Okay, here's my question. How did you figure out the whole like this is a missing ingredient that yeah. we're having right now in our like fast food like, world? So like many said. books, so many books and authors and experts and, and people that we talk with, like they 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 the expertise comes from the experience of like, oh, this is the thing that I found that works. Mm -hmm. and like you're coming you're coming to this to this book that's coming out uh any day now um february 1st uh yes. from this place of going hey listen my my experience growing up was one thing that's 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 completely feels completely opposite to what what you're talking about in the book how did you get there yeah and what's the magic sauce mike Give us some, some, of it, some of it was just being able to compare and contrast my own upbringing versus my wife's, yeah. um, talking to a lot of friends. I, uh, um, I've had some friends over the years that, you know, they almost seem unshakable, you know, life throws things at them and they just kind of roll with the punches and they keep on going. They don't get discouraged. And I've had other friends that are just complete basket cases. Um, you know, when life gets at them sideways, you know, oh, you know, it's the end of the world and those kinds of things, you know. Yeah. And I've always kind of wondered what is it about the, you know, the, the first group of people that keeps them so, you know, able to, to make it through the rough waters and make it back into calm seas versus what the other people don't have. And I really started asking questions of folks and really started digging in. 
Stay tuned for more of the Legendary Marriage Podcast. All right. So all of December, we gave away 60-minute breakthrough coaching sessions, and it was a blast. We got to talk with some amazing couples who are fighting together to build legendary marriages. Yeah, it was so much fun. We decided we're just going to keep doing it. Let's do it. Coaching has changed our lives and our marriage, and we went through a crisis in 2005. We didn't know if we would make it. Like, obviously, we did, and coaching's a big part of why we're still here. And, mm-hmm. and it became such a big part that we're both coaches now. And 10 years have gone by, uh, more than 10 years have gone by, and all kinds of trials and challenges. And yet our marriage has never been stronger. High and, five, babe. Yeah, high five. Boo. So maybe you're like we were. Uh, maybe you're in a really tough season. Maybe you're not sure how to find a way through it together. Maybe you're doing okay, but just feel like something's missing. Maybe it's something about the relationship. Maybe it's just something in your own piece of life. Why not take an hour to get some clarity, create a plan to build a life, a love, and a legacy together. Just head over to legendarymarriage.com slash coaching and schedule your free breakthrough session today. All right. So whether you're feeling that weariness um, or you just want to get a jump on 2019 goals, we'll give you a sounding board and get you radically clear about what's important. So wherever you're at, whatever you're up to, we want to help. No strings attached. We won't be trying to sell anything. We'll simply help you identify and process that thing that might be having you feeling stuck. And we'll get you a clear strategy to take action to get you where you want to go. So legendarymarriage.com slash coaching to claim your free 60-minute breakthrough coaching session today. And make 2019 the best year ever. Make it legendary. Yes, legendary. And now, back to our show. The people that were, you know, much more confident in things that were much less shakable had the ingredient that's missing that kept them going. And then I started looking at different things Um, for some of the research for the book. I actually started out looking at how nations relate to one another. So at any given point in time, I believe if I remember the reference right, there's 196 recognized nations in the world. At any point in time, 180 of them are engaged in warfare. So imagine if you work in a company where there's 200 employees and 180 of them are fighting every single day you go to work. And you're, you know, or there's just some kind of strife, even, yeah. even strife. maybe it's just a little bit. Yeah. So let's talk about a hostile work environment. So you take that and then you flip it around and you look at the countries that aren't that way. And then you can take it and you can break it down into to countries, nations, you know, communities, families, all these things. And you can see what's missing at every single solitary level. And it's love. Mm. When you, when you take love out, nothing works. And then you stop and you think, well, God created us. God created us for relationships. God is love. And the light bulb goes off. And it was like, no wonder, you know, so I I go back and I process back into my childhood you know, my mother is the way she is because she never felt loved. I turned into a train wreck in my teenage years because I never felt loved. My wife made it through all that stuff because she always knew she was loved. And then you stop and you look at other things and other people. And, you know, I've, I've talked to plenty of people. I've read tons of research studies to back this up. Um, there's even what's funny is I've even come across some scientific studies 
where they basically lay out exactly what love is without actually calling it that. And then the, the scientists at the end of the study are kind of like baffled because they're not. Okay. Okay. So that's a great, that's a great, like, that's my question then. Yeah. So if love is the missing ingredient, what is love? Yeah. That's my question too. It's like in the workplace, you said like, you know, there's all these people at work that are having some strife with each other or in your community or in your neighborhood. Like what does love look like when you're at work? Like that sounds a little weird to bring into work with you. Okay. So you can stop and think uh, in the Bible, it tells you what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is selfless. Um, all those things. Um, there's four different types of love. You have, you know, phileo, which is basically brotherly love. Like, you know, you guys have Seth across the street. You probably love Seth in a brotherly way. He's a really great guy. He's got a big heart. He's very selfless. Seth is a great example of somebody who conducts himself with love. He does his job that way. He really cares about the people that he works for. He's very, very excited and emotionally engaged in delivering a product to his customers at the end. Um, I like it. Is that the bro love, honey? It's bro love. It, yeah. it, can, can bromance develop from that place, that part of love? Absolutely. Justin's got, a, Justin's got some bromances. He's a good bro, aren't you, honey? Uh, sure. Yeah, you are. <laughs> You're great. I, I mean, if I'm honest, like you say that, all right, let's, let's, let's lay it out there. Like you're talking about upbringing and love and everything. Uh, like, I think you say, uh, are you a good bro? I'm like, I, I don't know. Like for me growing up, my brother's 12 years older than I am. And we have a very broken relationship in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I, I, do, I love him, but I don't have a lot of experience being a brother in that context. Well, I but I have some 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 very close a couple very close friends who uh, one in particular Ryan who yeah, like we are brothers. So I, I just yeah, I have, I didn't, it's it's a it's a complicated answer. No, I didn't mean the blood brother. I meant the uh the friend bro. That's so funny. It didn't even occur to me to think about the blood brother. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so what are the other the other loves? We got we got the bro love. Well, then you have eros, which you know is where the word erotic comes from. So I'll let Ooh, you baby. paint those pictures of where that goes. Uh, let me see if I can find Justin. Do you want to paint a picture for us of where that goes? Uh, I, I don't. I don't have my paints. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> and I'm not very good at drawing. Oh, is that where you get out like body paints or like glitter? I'm sure. Paints? I'm sure I could if I just do a quick Google search here. <laughs> no, don't do a Google search. <laughs> erotic paint. Don't wait, wait, do wait. it. Hold on. Hold on. Don't erotic, do it. Eros no. love. Erotic no, love. All right. Let oh, Mike. oh, here's some examples. No, here let Mike keep going. Go. <laughs> okay, we got bro love. We got sexy paint love. Okay. Sexy paint love. That's a new one. I did not put that in my book, by the way. Uh, I think that was in the addendum. Sexy. Maybe yeah. volume two. Well, oh, is there time to get into <laughs> Your best book is your next book. Oh, that's the, that's the title. That's the title. Sexy paint love. Okay, I'm going to write that down. Okay, so the next one is agape and agape is, is almost kind of like a love of mankind, a a general love. Um, to some extent you could say that, that Seth conducts himself with agape, you know, he's, he's going to be the guy that holds the door open for a random stranger going into a store. Um, he'll, he'll get out of line if there's, you know, 
an elderly lady who needs some help, those kinds of things. Mm, um, um, he didn't know he was going to be the star of this episode. Yeah, but I know. He's yeah. going to listen to this and he's going to be totally embarrassed and he's going to have he to go. better love it. Ah. <laughs> he will agape it. Yes. And then the last one is storge, which is basically family love, like love between parents and children, brothers and sisters, uh, that kind of thing. It's it's very similar to the man and wife without the crazy sex paint thing that you were talking about. Sure, that would be very <laughs> inappropriate and awkward. Oh, um, yeah. so all these different types of okay, have to order some of that. So, stuff. <laughs> got, is, that, day, is there a place to order day, crazy sex night, paint? It's called Amazon. Amazon has everything, That'd and you could, night, you could use our link Amazon.com. Oh, Danielle! Oh my! What? Legendarymarriage.com slash Amazon. The proceeds I an affiliate program growing up here. Hello. We do have an affiliate. So everybody hit it up for your sexy body paint. Okay. Um, it's not for your bromance. Well, I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe there's some bromance stuff there too. Okay. So I see what you're saying. Like um, bringing all these different types of love to all these different areas of life. But here's my question. When you feel like you are in that broken type of place and you're not sure how to do these types of love because you haven't seen them um, modeled for you, maybe, you know, maybe it's growing up or even in your marriage, like how do you, like, is there hope for you to love when you haven't been experiencing it for a very long time? Absolutely. If there wasn't, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be sitting here right now. Um, you know, I, I love my wife more today than I did the day I met her. Um, love her more now than I did when we've been married for five years, ten years, fifteen years. It just keeps growing. Um, mm-hmm. if, if I can do it, anybody can do it. I mean, I, I won't get into some of the details, but I, you know, some of the stuff that I lay out in my book from my childhood is some stuff that some people never come back from. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, I'm not going to say I had the worst childhood in the universe, but on a scale of, you know, one to scary, it was at least a couple of letters into that before. Well, you know, I, I, I'm i going to interject real quick because because I think people so, so quickly want to um, uh, kind of step back from from uh, acknowledging the trauma mm-hmm. in their own lives. And like, well, you know, I wasn't. I wasn't bad this, this somebody, or this, yeah. but you know, to me it was, and it, it's, it's relative and it matters. And so, so I, I just want to be careful about that because I think, I think whatever the trauma, however it showed up, big T, little T, however you want to describe it. One time, a hundred times. Matters. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know, I, I've, I've counseled people who have been through stuff that made my child look like I spent the whole time in Disney world. Sure. Um, sure. And, and they've come back. I think it's, you know, as long as you're still breathing, you can still move forward. Yeah. How do you start to move forward from that place where you, like you acknowledge, like, I need to be able to understand love more and move more into that place. Like, how do you even start that journey? Well, I think it's like anything else. You have to have the will to make it happen first. You know, you, you don't become a major league baseball player without the will to be a major league baseball player. You don't become Martha Stewart without the drive for that. So you have to have, you know, that spark inside you. That's like, you know what? God loves me. Somebody else out there loves me just because the people around me don't. And the people that have been put in my life don't, doesn't mean I'm not worth it. 
Mm-hmm. And then you just start moving towards it, moving forward. Um, I lay out a lot of the steps in the book. Give us a, give us a teaser. Give us a one or two. So one of the things I lay out is I have, you know, you, you can't do a book like this, you know, the, the, the uh, personal growth segment without having some acronyms. So I have uh, the goal for the soul. And goal is grace, an open heart, accepting of others and listening. Mm-hmm. So you have to be able to respond to people with grace, which means we all make mistakes. As humans, we tend to have this kind of weird paradigm going on in our brains where we look at everybody else's flaws, but we expect them to overlook our own. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you, how many times have you been somewhere where somebody, you know, is snapping at the waitress because she didn't bring something out immediately, but then they turn around and do something dumb and they hope nobody saw it. It's those kinds of things. Um, so grace covers that. Once you start looking at everybody as we're all flawed and we're all hurting, everybody you talk to is dealing with something. I could go down the street right now to my favorite restaurant and walk around. And if I could actually get everybody in the room to open up, I guarantee you everybody is struggling with something, a job sure. thing, a relational thing, a, a disease, a, a something. So give everybody grace. And that's the first part of, of helping your heart be able to experience love and take it in. You know, you can't have something that you're not prepared to receive. Mm. So. The next one is I had a pastor friend years ago who said uh, something similar. Uh, well, on a similar notion, um, give yourself an effing break. You're only human. Your yeah. pastor said that. Right? I mean, grace. It's what grace is. In, in one piece of it is give yourself a break. Yeah, and like, give, give other, other people, people a break, break too. Yeah, We're all human. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So the O, the O is open heart. So that kind of goes along with the grace. Um, you know, you're, as you're giving people grace, you need to open your heart back up. Um, in the book, I detail how quick we are to build walls. Um, it's, it's almost like a survival mechanism gone wrong. Yes. So, okay. Yeah. Insert political comment here. Okay. Keep going. Mike. <laughs> Not that kind of wall. Um, but you know, if, if you, if you touch a stove, and you burn your pull your hand away burned your hand's going to blister and then it's going to heal over with a little bit of calluses which is your body trying to protect itself from the next time you touch the stove yeah. you're like me you did it three or four times as a kid before you realized don't stop touching the stove uh, yeah it's kind of oh like my. that it's kind of like that open hand thing too like if you don't open your hand to receive to be open to things mm-hmm. you know nothing's going to come in absolutely uh, the A is accept others. We're all different. We all do things that other people think is weird or different or whatever. Just be accepting. It doesn't matter what color somebody's skin is, where they went to school, where they, what side of the tracks they live on, who they voted for, what church they go to, even if they don't go to church, whatever their lifestyle is, we're all people that deserve to be loved. Mm, um, yes. I saw a really cool meme the other day that I just loved. And it said, you will never stare into the eyes of a person Jesus doesn't love. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, how many times a day can you go around and have somebody irritate you if you want to be that way? If you want to be that person that gets irritated easily, you know, traffic jams drive people crazy that, you know, waiting for something. Nobody wants to wait for anything. Somebody's sending you spam emails. People are billing. It's, there's so many ways that you could be irritated if you want to be. So grace, an open heart, accepting others. What's the L? Listen. Um, I spent years... Wait, what was that? 
Listen, Danielle, (laughs) I spent years training people uh, about the tenets of communication Um, in our country right now and probably in the world, although I've never been out there to find out. um, Communication takes three parts. It takes somebody to speak, another person to listen and the other person to respond. As Americans, nine times out of 10, what we do is we speak and we wait to respond. Yeah. There is no listen. There is no hearing the other person. There's just, would you please shut up? Because I just got to say this. Come on, would you stop talking? <laughs> <laughs> and nobody hears anything. So Yes. Danielle's so favorite, favorite thing to uh, be irritated about is hey, wait. flipping through the channels and seeing the, the panel on CNN or Fox News or whatever news oh channel gosh, of so just much. everybody yelling at each other. Oh, it's the worst. We're having an important conversation about insert political topic here. And we've I got on our panel, blah, 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 blah. What do you think? <laughs> yeah. Turn on ESPN <laughs> at four o'clock and that's all you get sure. there. You know? Sure. Same thing. Oh, but at least ESPN has, you know, football real highlights. But, yeah. um, okay. So, and so we've got the goal. How can we become agents of change? Like how can we step into this? Obviously it can seem very overwhelming. Like there's craziness, hurt, brokenness, you know, all around us. Like what can we actually do to like make a difference? So one of the things I touch on in the book is one of the laws of physics that says energy cannot, uh, you can't get rid of energy. It only can change form. Yeah. So in this world, there's a ton of negativity. So you're not going to make the negativity just go away by making it disappear, but you can take the negativity and you can turn it back into something positive. Mm-hmm. So it's really easy to, you know, fill in the blank some situation and you can walk up to it and you can be the person that looks at all the negatives or you can be the person that looks at all the positives. You can, you know, go to go back to the restaurant analogy, you're sitting in a restaurant and the waitress drops your drink on the floor right next to you. You could be the person that looks at the negative and gets mad at the the waitress. You could be the person that looks at the positive. Hey, hey, that's okay. At least the glass didn't break and hurt somebody. Hey, it's not a big deal. At least you didn't drop the entire dinner plate. You know, at least you didn't drop it on somebody. There's always a way to turn it around so it's a positive. So that's how you kind of become that agent of change in this world instead of sitting there like anytime you turn on CNN or, or ESPN or whatever, there's all these people arguing. And they're trying to beat each other over the head with their opinions, which are usually negative opinions. Right. Yeah. You can be the one with the positive outlook. You can be the one that encourages people that you, you walk up to the counter to pay for something and you make sure that you smile at the person behind the counter and you tell them how much you appreciate them taking the time to do what they do so you can get back to whatever you're doing. Those yeah. kinds of things. I love... I, oh. I think... I, I think... Uh, listen... Yeah, I can't wait to say what I want to say. <laughs> All right, go ahead, Justin, while I think of my next comment. Um, I, I think it's important to notice just how ridiculously simple that is. I think we, we, when we talk about creating a legacy or creating an impact in the world, things like that, people come up with these incredibly complex, and I don't mean to be dismissive in any way, but we think that it's such a hard, big, crazy concept to make a difference. Like, well, I can't dig a thousand wells this month. So, yeah. you know, we think we've got to start a nonprofit, build a thing, donate billions, something yeah. like that. And, you know, it could be just little stuff. The simple act of of smiling and being present with people and, and being engaged with them. Well, I like too what you said, Mike, about like 
replacing the negative thought with a positive because yeah. like so many times like let's say somebody is like trying to stop smoking or something and they're like i'm gonna stop smoking but then you know then there's a vacuum of like yeah. what do i do when i'm supposed to be smoking and you have to replace it with something positive, which is what you said. I think the mistake sometimes we make, like whether it's porn or smoking or whatever it is, you try to just stop the ba- the thing that you want to get rid of, but you don't replace it with something yeah. that you do want more of in your life. Yeah. So I think that's a that's an important point that you have there is like replace it with love, replace it with kindness, replace it with grace. Don't just stop doing something bad. That's not really making a change. Yeah. And you're not really stopping anything. I mean, you, you know, I used to smoke cigarettes and when I stopped smoking, I just started eating more. Um, the, you know, the craving is still there, but I could have turned it to something positive. I could have been like, okay, well, every time I want to smoke a cigarette, I'm going to go, you know, pick up my guitar and write a song, or I'm going to go do something that makes a positive impact on my life. I'm going to go study for, you know, to, to get my next promotion. I'm going to, every time I have that urge, I'm going to take that as a trigger to make me do something positive. Instead, it was a, oh, well, I can't smoke cigarettes. Let me go get a candy bar. Let me go down to McDonald's and get some French fries. Let me go. And then all of a sudden I was 30 pounds heavier than I was when I smoked going, why did I quit smoking? I'm fat. So (laughs) (laughs) now I need to smoke again. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But it's like, just make the intent, the, the uh, action towards like, what, what is it that you want more of? Not just what do you want less of? Um, So I love that. I love that. Well, um, any uh, closing thoughts for our people about how to really bring more healthy relationships? Because I mean, I know there's someone listening out there that just really needs a little bit of hope for um, how they can have more connection and more love in their life. I think it's, again, as Justin said, it's so simplistic. It's just put out what you want to get back do you know and that's been said a thousand times but it's it's the reality if you want to be encouraged be an encourager if -hmm. you're somebody who walks up the first thing you say to somebody the first time you encounter them that day is man that's a really sharp shirt i love the way you're you know you look really good you did something with your hair hey you're losing weight hey i love that thing you sent me earlier Mm -hmm. sooner or later they're going to come looking for you because it trips the endorphins. It makes us feel good. It's yeah. like, man, I like coming up and talking to Justin because he's complimentary. Even though my mind's not thinking that, it's just going to be like, I like talking to Justin. He makes me feel good. You know what? And when so, you just said that, it made me feel like almost like a little thing in my stomach where it's like, it's risky to kind of put yourself out there as far as like a friendship or a relationship or whatever goes. Like, I think it's risky just to be nice. <laughs> doesn't it feel like that? Right? Was, like it's so much easier to just be a jerk to everybody. <laughs> what are you talking about? I was, Is that just me? Yes, that is just oh, you. No, it used I to was, just be me, but not anymore. It was so, no, right. it probably is easier just to do nothing. I would think it's probably easier to do nothing than to put yourself out there. Like this reminds me of like our daughter. She's like, she's just coming into the age where she wants to start hanging out with friends and things like that. And I, we had instructed her, you know, why don't you go across the street and, you know, ask your friend if they want to come out and play. And 
she kind of went into freeze mode because she was like, well, what if they don't answer the door or what if they don't want to play with me or, you know, things like that. And I'm like, we still deal with that as adults. Like, Oh, and it's worse. You know, like, Hey, come, I want come something to... so deeply. Yeah. If, you take, if you take a six year old and drop them in a playground, they'll have five best friends for life in about three minutes. Sure. If you take an adult and drop them in the same playground, they're going to find five people to sit there and stare at phones with. So yeah. it's, I think it's the it's older risky. we get, the harder it is. And, and, but the flip side of it is, is what's the bigger risk to put yourself out there and maybe not make a connection or to sit back and be lonely and go through the trials of life all by yourself. Yeah. And then when stuff goes sideways, you've got nobody there. Ugh. Yeah. And you, you want to build yourself up for that. Um, when the, when the crap does hit the fan, you want to have people around you that are going to love you and everything. Yeah. You said you don't want to go through stuff alone. That stinks and nobody wants that. No. Um, okay. So Mike, it's been so great having you on the show. I want you to tell us how our listeners can find you and your book and all that. Okay. So right now the the book is part of a series called Hacking the Darkness. It's book one. And you can go to facebook.com backslash hacking the darkness for that page. Uh, we will be doing a book launch party uh, with details to be announced pretty soon. I'm going to Facebook live the launch party at a local bookstore. Oh, uh, we'll have nice. a lot more information with that. Uh, the book will be available through uh, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, so forth and so on. Pretty much all the major book outlets that you can find. You can also be able to download it onto Kindle, Nook, or whatever your e-reader of choice is. All right. Wonderful. And what? of course, we will include all of those links in the show notes so that you can find yes. Mike and what he's doing and his um, new wonderful book, The Missing Ingredient, Home Cook Relationships in a Fast Food World. Mike, thanks for being on the show. Thank y'all. It's been awesome. Okay. So this conversation brings to mind the level of intentionality to have with your relationships. Yeah. Because remember how he was talking about the surface relationships? Like he had these all these surface friendships when he was a kid because he got moving. Well, I mean, I feel like no matter if we move or not, we can fall into that kind of a space. Sure. And... Uh, there was a time in my life when we made a cross country move when I had to really bring a level of intentionality to friendships because I knew I was only going to be there for a certain amount of time. And I thought, Hmm, who are the people that I want to dive deep with? Because I love to have deep friendships yes. because if I'm just filled with only surface friendships, ugh, it can be draining to me. Like it's just <laughs> true story. True story. Okay. So Yes. Bring that intentionality to who do you want to dive yeah. deep in your friendship? I think I think I would say it this way. Life is best lived a mile deep and an inch wide versus a mile wide and an inch deep. Ooh, love that. Okay, and a full confession. I really have to confess this and I feel really bad oh, about this. Wait, what? In the episode, um, we were talking about <laughs> our neighbor that lives across the street. Yes. And it was portrayed like we're good friends with our neighbors. I wish we were better friends with all of our neighbors. Honestly, I really yeah. do. But the truth is... That's something we're going to reconcile. I know. This is, this is kind of like feet to the fire moment here. But we're not that good of friends with our neighbors. And I feel really, really bad. <laughs> In the episode, it kind of sounded like we were. Yeah. But um, we got a ways to go on that one, honey. 
I, I think it's easy in some ways to to feel connected to somebody because you're like, oh, the, these are our people. Like you recognize that across right. the street or next door or sure. at the store or whatever. You recognize it. But you're like not really we're kindred spirits. Right. But you're not and putting it's effort easy into in your it. own mind to actually to go to feel that depth without actually investing. And so like that's that's our challenge. That's the challenge this week mm. um, for us as well as for you all is how who are those how, close friends that you want to invest in? Yeah. Yeah. And that call you forth to be the best in your marriage, too, because I think that's really good. Find those couple friends that will call you to your best. Yeah. And vice versa, baby. All right. That's it for today's show. As always, we're talking about all the hot topics from the podcast and so much more over in our free community on Facebook. So come join the conversation at legendarymarriage.com slash community. You can find this episode in the show notes at legendarymarriage.com slash 114. All right. Don't forget, last thing, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes so we know how we're doing. And more importantly, so other couples can find us and join the adventure. Even if they're a bad review, but they wouldn't be. No. <laughs> All right. Thanks. I for... dare you to leave a bad review on our podcast. No, I dare you to leave a good review on our podcast. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Legendary Marriage Podcast. This is Danielle and Justin reminding you don't settle for an ordinary marriage, make yours legendary. legendary.